Hello, I want to welcome you to another episode of A Kingdom Perspective. We're really glad that you've joined us. My name is Steve and I'm here with Scott. And today we are talking about a kingdom perspective on wealth. So a while ago, I stumbled across uh, this website called globalrichlist.com. You can enter your your income and the area that you live in, uh, just basically the country that you live in. And uh, it will. This website will calculate your rank among the wealthiest people in the world. And so I find this kind of fascinating. Uh, it's really interesting because it's complaining about how much money we make or how much we don't make is kind of an American pastime. And so uh, I put in some numbers as we were thinking about talking about wealth today. I checked out the census data that just came out uh, in September of this year that shows that the median household income in the United States, adjusted for inflation and, and all the different factors, is fifty nine thousand per year. Uh, so on average, families, not not individuals, families are bringing in 59,000 a year to the home. And uh, and so if you if you make $59,000 a year, you are in the top 0.2% of the richest people in the world. There are less than 12 million people uh, among the 7.6 billion people in the entire world who make more money than you do. And many people are just discovering right now that they're rich. Right. And I, I want to offer congratulations to them. Right, yeah, exactly. Because they, they didn't even know. Well, and it gets even it gets even crazier, you know, because maybe you make more than average. Maybe you make six figures in a year. If you've just crashed through that barrier, the six-figure barrier, making $100,000 a year, you're in the top 008 only 5 million people in the entire world make more money than you do, which is, I mean, it's just crazy to think about. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, of course, someone who makes six figures is rich. You know, that would be the dream. Okay, let's talk about where we live. We live in Decatur, Illinois. And the reality of Decatur, Illinois, is that the average household income here in Decatur is not the national average. Um, is less. It, kind of a depressed area. It is. It's significantly less, actually. The The median household income where we live is 39600 Wow, that's significantly less. Per year. Less. Significantly less yeah. than the national average. So, okay. Um, we, so, you know, maybe you live, you're saying, no, it's, you know, I, I live in Decatur. I, I make an average salary in Decatur. That income would put you in, in the top 0.58% of the wealthiest people in the world. Less than 35 million people are richer than you throughout the entire world. But maybe, maybe you're just starting out. Maybe you're a student and you've uh, just gotten your first job and you're thinking, I am the furthest thing from rich. Or uh, maybe you've, you know, maybe you're, you're working in a, a minimum wage job. You know, right now, minimum wage in Illinois is eight and a quarter. There's been some, some talk about raising minimum wage that hasn't happened yet. It's eight twenty-five an hour. Um, and so a person working a full-time minimum wage job in Illinois uh, is making a little over $17,000 a year, 17160 to be exact. Uh, and that income, $17,160 a year, feels like poverty. In fact, in, in the United States, that is below the poverty line. That income would put you in the top 5.5% of the richest people in the world. 330 million people make more than you, but that, actually, that also means that 7.27 billion people make less than you do at minimum wage. And so that what that tells me is that if you live in the United States, it is likely that you're richer than you think you are. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And I, I remember years ago now, I heard Andy Stanley talking about this issue, and he he went through a whole list of things. I don't remember all of them, but 
I remember him saying, if you have a house for your car, you are rich. Right. And, and you know, we, we just don't think about, we, we just don't have that perspective very often, but we are more rich than we realize. We are. And I've been into areas that are more depressed than others in this country and on mission trips and in Mexico and in other areas. And, and sometimes it's not until you enter into an area like that, a situation like that, that you realize how much you have. You come back and you, your house feels like a mansion and you have two vehicles. And like you said, you have a house for your cars. You have a, a, a garage that's larger than than the house that you just stayed at when you were on the mission field. A lot of us have to, uh, a lot of people have to take out separate facilities to hold all their stuff. You know, the storage unit right. industry is just booming right now. Right. Because we have so much stuff. Yeah, we have more than we can even fit into our home. Right. So we have to we have to buy a storage unit. Well, I, I think that there's a couple of ways that that we handle wealth. Now that we've kind of established, we're all uh, wealthy um, <laughs> to varying degrees. I think that's true. Surprise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's a couple ways that that we we can kind of handle this in our mind. I think sometimes we idolize wealth. I, I remember reading a study one time that people were being asked about what do you consider to be wealthy or how much more money would you want to have. And in every case, you talk about making six figures, it was true of them. Making $50,000, it was true of them. Making $25,000, it was true of them. And in every occasion, it was 20% more, you know? So I think a lot of times we, we idolize wealth and Did they articulate it as a percentage, 20% more. Or well, was it like just, they had a number the, in mind. Yeah. They had a number in oh, mind okay. and it was usually about 20% oh, more okay. than oh, they were currently making. That seems like a strange thing right, for... that they were, they were able to point to that number and say, that's wealthy. That's yeah. rich. And it was, it was almost always 20% more right. than they were making. So we, none of us really views ourself as rich. It's, Whoever's 20%. It's that, right. Yeah, ahead of me. But, um, And I think when you talk about idolizing wealth, I, I think it can become almost a God that we turn to. That if I, if I had more money, if I had more wealth, this would be the thing that saves me. Or this would be the thing that gives me joy, hope, and peace. This is my functional savior, is more. Right. Yeah, I don't think, at least from a Christian standpoint, I don't think that Christians are out there saying like, yes, my money's going to save me. But like you said, from a functional standpoint, Fun- functional, yeah. that, that we, we act as if just a little more and I'll be happy, just a little more and I'll have the security that I need to feel safe in case something happens to me, uh, just a little more. And that's, I think, kind of a dangerous mentality to go through life with. Yeah, there has been, I know you've done some research on this too, but there have been some interesting studies that have come out recently about that this is a God that the millennials are not turning to as much, that the millennials are not quite as interested in wealth as previous generations, right? But it's still very prevalent in our culture. Yeah, it is, and I think that I think that the pursuit of wealth is different. I don't know that I would say I don't know that I would say that millennials, that younger people, are less interested. I think it's that that it's being pursued in a different way. That's probably a good point. You yeah. know, I, I think that I think that previous generations, the baby boomers, for example, um, struggled with be- becoming workaholics, with with working so much overtime, and and you know that was how they gained wealth to provide for their family. And then I think there was a reaction against that, that uh, I, I shouldn't have to be at work constantly. Um, but there's, I, I don't think that Generation X was any less 
interested in wealth. I think they just used it and accumulated it in different ways than their parents did. Uh, and I think that's that's becoming true of millennials as well. I think that uh, you know that millennials are using and accumulating and gaining wealth in different ways, but I'm not so sure that it's less. Well, and it's been an age-old thing. I mean, we do have an example in Scripture in Matthew 19 of a guy who had turned to money as a functional savior for him. Right. Yeah, we call him we like to call him the rich young ruler because uh, of co- you know combining a couple of the different passages in Matthew and in Luke um, that that from those passages we know that he was uh, a young man of of some influence uh, and he came to Jesus asking about salvation, what do I have to do? Uh, and uh, Jesus tells him, you know, gives gives him the the answer, you know, follow follow these commands live this kind of life and and he says I, I do that uh, I'm a good person and uh, and Jesus doesn't dispute that he's a good person I think that's interesting that Jesus doesn't call him a liar uh, even though he probably hasn't followed those commands perfectly Jesus right. doesn't call that out he says there's there's one thing that's missing still uh, and, and he says that the thing that's missing for you is to sell your possessions and give to the poor so I mean, like, is that do you, do you see that? I know that there are people that believe that that's kind of a global, you know, all play. Jesus, that Jesus says, "Hey, get rid of your stuff and and you know, take a vow of poverty and and then you can follow me." What do you do? You, do you think do you agree I don't, with that? No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't buy into that. I, I think that um, Jesus is demonstrating to us here that he wants to engage with us on our issues, and this was this guy's issue. And I've known I've known people that uh, a text like this would be really good for them to to sell their stuff and give their money to the poor would not be the worst thing you know that it's taken hold of their life and so but this is specific to this guy and people that struggle like this guy did we all have our struggle and for this guy it was money well and later in the in the passage Jesus says to his disciples truly I tell you it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, again, I say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Um, and and the disciples are thinking, well, like, well, if a rich person can't get in, who could? You know, because they believe that that person was in a better position with God. Right. That that, that wealth were... was a sign of God's blessing exactly. in, in in that person's life. And if 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 the person who's that blessed hashtag blessed, you right. know, the person that that's that blessed. <laughs> can't get in, then who can? And and Jesus says that things that are impossible for people are possible with God, that relying on God is the way. And he, I think the point, I think the point that he's making here is that wealth clouds, gets in the way of me relying on God. Right. And, and I think that's what was happening for this rich young man, and I think that happens a lot in our lives. I know it happens for me. That when things are going well, when I have everything that I need, or at least it feels like I have everything that I need, I don't naturally rely on God as much as when things aren't going perfectly, when I am in need, when I can't provide for myself or take care of my own problem, I tend to turn to God. And so I get it that that it is difficult for a rich person, someone who believes they've got everything they need, 
to develop a reliance on God, the reliance on God that it takes in order to act, to, to have a true kingdom perspective. And Jesus is, you know, we, we talked about this just a little bit, but he is clearly upending a social stereotype and a religious stereotype that if you are struggling and if you're poor, they believed in that day that like God's mad at you. And Jesus is very clearly with in, in this on this occasion demonstrating that that's not true. That actually when, when you're when you're rich, there's maybe even more struggle that, than when you're not right uh, spiritually. So what, what do you think are some signs that maybe somebody has turned uh, to money as an idol or wealth? I think that the one the one thing that jumps out as as one of the easier things to spot in yourself is, and I think we to different varying degrees we all do this, is when people are living beyond their means. I think that credit has gotten out of control. I think that buying things with money that you don't have uh, has gotten a little out of control in, in our country. Um, I have, you know, it's, it's kind of part of my story that, that it, that got a little out of control in my life that my wife and I, uh, racked up significant credit card debt, um, through a series of bad decisions, but also just regular decisions, you know, just using a credit card for groceries and gas and, you know, replacing a computer because I need a computer. And, and it just kind of, it all added up and put us in this hole financially that was difficult. And, uh, so I think that, I think that living beyond our means is an indication that you, you've made wealth your God. I think an- another one would be if, if you're not uh, demonstrating generosity toward others, that at the end of the day, you're kind of demonstrating that you believe this is all for you, which is why, not why God gave it to you. To, to be for you, so. Right. I mean, I know that you think that people should be giving regularly. I do. To what? Our decision and our family ha- has been that that goes to the local church, uh, to the church where we serve and are investing in our family and just the local the local place where you worship, and that's what I would recommend. Well, I think another one, uh, another indication that, that wealth has kind of become an idol for you is uh, if you are putting your hope in purchases— that that you are you're buying things and you're and not just your hope like you know that that these purchases are are going to fulfill me although that's part of it but hoping that those purchases are going to bring you happiness that they're going to right. you know that you, you have this emptiness and and this thing you know I'll save for it or more likely I'll just go buy it with my right. credit card and it's going to make me happy and then constantly experiencing the disappointment of that not happening mm-hmm. you know i think that i think that you, there's this cycle that we go through that like oh well like and it's like you said earlier 20% more i that thing if i could just have that thing then i'll be happy and i and then i i get that thing and i realize huh that that didn't make me happy so it's a moving target i guess i guess it wasn't just this thing but it's this thing and the next thing and, and I think if you find yourself caught up in that race, it's just never ending. Um, I, I think that can be an indication that money has become an idol for you. All of a sudden, that payment for whatever that thing is becomes really frustrating to you. Right. You know, yeah. Dave Ramsey is is a, a radio personality that I listen to. Uh, one of the things that I really like that, they, that he always, you know, he's always saying is uh, that if your car payment is more than 40% of your income, uh, then you're going to have to make plans to move into your car. Right. That, that you know, you, people take on these payments 
and it's just more than they can afford because they think those things are going to make them happy. And when they don't, they're just left with debt and this never-ending search for something that will make them happy. I think uh, a lot of times that that we do, we, we make wealth an idol. The, the other thing that we do, and you and I have both seen this done, is sometimes we villainize wealth, that we make uh, wealth uh, the enemy. And I, I, I certainly don't think we ought to be doing that either. Uh, that that uh, wealth wealth is not the enemy. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And it's easy to change that text from the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil to money is the root of all, all evil. And we really don't want to do that. Right, that money has no morals of its own. Money's not good. And money's not bad. Money is an inanimate object. It's just paper. It's just coin. It's it's just a thing. But loving it, idolizing it. Turning to it. Turning to it. It's a root of all kinds of evil, to quote scripture. And so, yeah, saying that that money is the problem is, is not accurate. We could just get rid of all this money and live in a in a commune or share everything equally. You know that I think there's a lot in in our culture. There's this movement towards uh, socialism. This movement towards well, maybe communism isn't really that bad. It's just that it you know it, the people that tried to implement it didn't do it right. And, and there's this idea that moving towards socialism is going to solve our problems because money's bad. And the Bible doesn't say that money is bad. The Bible says that loving money is bad. And so if, if you make money the villain in your life, that's convenient. It's convenient to have uh, something to blame. But the reality is money's not to blame. I'm to blame. Yeah, and everybody has one of those things that they're tempted to turn to. And money, money is a big one, I, I think, for, for a lot of people. Jesus, obviously, kind of warned against that. Right. Well, yeah, when he said, you know, you can't serve two masters. You know, you can't serve God and money. Um, now, I think we misunderstand Jesus when we, when we say, well, that means he says you can't have any money. No, I believe you can have money without serving money. Yeah. I think you can have money and serve God. I know people who do it well. I do too. And, and Jesus, I, I know a lot of people who do this verse well. Uh, the Apostle Paul to Timothy later, this is chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age uh, and in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So do you think that there are indicators of, of this, just like there, there are of idolatry? Like, well, how do you know if a person is uh, struggling with this idea of making making money the bad guy? Well, I certainly think jealousy w- would be on that list. It's uh, Jealousy is kind of a, a secondary feeling, the, the first being anger. You know, that, that jealousy really is, it's just a form of anger, that I, I'm looking at somebody and I want what you have. I think maybe even beyond that is, and we've talked about it before, the sense of entitlement beyond I want what you have, the sense that I deserve what you have. Because I think it's easy to jump from money is the villain to rich people are the villain. Right. That that if you are rich, if you have, and not just rich, because that, that's, that's, 
too too ambiguous if you're richer than me. Right. If you have more than me, you're the bad guy. You know, and 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 you must you need to be brought down low. You need to be, you know, brought down a peg. We need to do everything we can to penalize you because you have more than me. And I just I don't see in scripture that where that's that's the mandate where God says to take from the rich and dis- redistribute all this wealth because you have more than me, and for some reason that's a bad thing. And so I think this idea of entitlement, that I deserve what you have, is a sign that that I've made money out to be something that it's not. And I, I think uh, to, to kind of tag onto that would be the idea of a judgmental spirit, that if you find someone if you find yourself making judgments about a person's character that you don't even know, just based on the idea that you perceive that they're rich, that's a problem. Right. That, that's a judgmental attitude that I'm going to make judgments about you just because you're rich. Right. Rich people are bad people. They must right. have gotten their their money through dishonesty. They must. I mean, like we we do this all the time. We do. Well, okay. I, I you know, talking all about wealth, we've uh, danced around the kingdom perspective. Because I think that when it comes to a kingdom perspective on wealth, uh, we tend to be just as confused. I think money confuses the issue. I think that that there are multiple different perspectives that people try to advocate as the kingdom perspective on wealth. They, they go to the Bible and say, the Bible teaches this about money, or the Bible teaches this about money, and I think that many times the, those perspectives are competing with one another. And you and I both believe that the Bible does not contradict itself, and so there must be a kingdom perspective on wealth. It's just a little challenging to get to it. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that you'll hear people sometimes articulate in terms of a kingdom perspective is some would buy into what's called a poverty theology, and that's the theology that teaches that money uh, should be rejected because it is such a big temptation and it's uh, such a stumbling block for so many that we really ought to just ought to reject money and Christians really ought to live in poverty. And this, I think, kind of flows out of that, the idea of villainizing wealth, that money leads to evil, that, that money is the bad guy. And so because of that, because we just are not strong enough to resist it, we should get rid of it. The problem with this particular teaching is it forgets about 1 Timothy 6 that I read earlier that says that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Right, in verse 17. Yeah, in verse 17, that there is, there is an element of God being a good father and wanting to give things to his kids to enjoy. Right. Yeah, that's, well, the Bible talks about that. It says, you know, which which of you fathers, which of you earthly fathers, if if your kids asked for, you know, a an, an Xbox One, would <laughs> would give them, you know, a Super Nintendo, would give them an right. Atari? Like you you wouldn't. You would you 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 want to as a dad, as a parent, you want to give good gifts to your kids. And so the Bible says, how much more does God want to give good gifts to His kids? Right. And, and, and the answer is a lot more. You know, God loves to give good gifts to his children. God loves to bless us. And it's not just, you know, he, God's not just pouring blessing into your life to provide some kind of temptation to see, like, a test, how you're going right. to deal with it. Like, well, let's see if he'll give this away. Or, you know, he's not, he's not trying to set you up to fail. He's trying to give you things to enjoy. Yeah, for, for, to, to bless you. And that, that would lead us, I think, into the prosperity the- theology. So you have a poverty theology that... Uh, we both reject. Right. 
a prosperity theology that we both reject. And that says that the chief and sometimes only way that God blesses his children is through the material. And uh, this is also, I think, not a great teaching, that the that you talk about God being a good father and showering blessings on his kids. It would be a mistake to view those blessings as only material. Yeah, sometimes you'll hear this called the health and wealth gospel, that God uh, wants people to be healthy and rich. And the problem is, if someone's not healthy and rich, that then means that God is displeased with them, that, that there must be doing something, you're doing it wrong. You know, if you're, right. if you're sick, if, you, if you're struggling, if you're not ma- being able to make ends meet, uh, then it must mean that you're doing it wrong, that you have some kind of sin in your life, and God won't bless you, he won't give you your money, he won't give you what's yours. And I think, again, this kind of flows from that entitlement and that jealousy that, that I deserve it, and so God will give it to me as long as I'm doing it right. You know, I, it, it's, it's this it's idea. Humanism. It is. It's I'm going to earn it. I'm going to earn. I'm going to earn all this great stuff from God. God has all this great stuff, and I'm going to earn it, and He's going to give it to me, and and I'm going to be happy because I've got all this great stuff. And that that humanism kind of side of this discussion, it forgets that God wants us to be generous that he blesses us and he brings those things into our life for a reason. And that reason is probably others. Right. Most likely. Right. Well, the very next verse, you know, first in 1 Timothy 6, 18, says, command them to do good, to right. be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That that it's both sides, two, just these two verses in a row. God gives us things for our enjoyment so that we will be generous and share them with others. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's almost as if they. It's almost as if Paul thinks that's the enjoyable life is being generous, right? Well, and I'll tell you, it is. It is. It, You're right. It is. I mean, we've gone through. My wife and I have gone through all these steps to get out of debt, and the end result is we are in a position to be generous in ways that we've never been able to be generous before, and it's fun. Yeah. It's right. a ton of fun to be able to bless people, to be able to give to people, to be able to, to provide for people, to be able to meet needs in that way. It feels really great, you know? And, and so I think that is part of the good life when it comes to money, is, right. is to be in a position where I can be very generous, where, where God's blessings can flow through me to other people, because I think that was designed to be that way. And so when, when you come to what I think is, is the actual kingdom perspective on wealth— We've talked about a couple things. One is what I would call uh, stewardship theology. You've got poverty, which I reject, prosperity, which I reject, stewardship theology. And it teaches that God has placed certain things into my hands, and I'm going to manage them well and use them for his glory. Right. Yeah, we went to a, a conference at, at one point, Steve and I both did, and uh, it was just, it was a very interesting, uh, very interesting format for a conference. And this particular uh, session that we were at, there was a conversation between two different pastors from two different churches, and it centered around this idea of poverty and prosperity theology. And uh, the, one of the churches um, had adopted the, the idea that they should not that that they that they were being too self indulgent that they were and I, I think that this is a valid conversation for churches to have and yes. are we spending too much money on ourselves are because we're th- th- there's a mission there's there, there's a balance that you that you take and so are we spending too much on ourselves this church decided that they were 
They were spending too much on themselves, on their facilities, on the, their production, on, on the things that they were doing. It was just too much money. They didn't feel comfortable. And so they, they started shifting their paradigm and, and sending more and more and more of that money to other places where, where there were needs. That's great. That's, it, it sounds awesome. But I think it got a little extreme. When, when the pastor started talking about how they uh, decided to, to take away all of the goldfish crackers from their kids' ministry in order to save money and, and send all of that money to, to, you know, I don't know where, to another ministry somewhere this else. pastor got so lit up over He did. This. Well, yeah. right, because, like, you know, what do you mean the kids can't have their goldfish crackers? Give them goldfish, like, like, don't man. You, don't you like children? Like one of, the, one of the other pastors offered to buy his church goldfish did, crackers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I think that while, while it started as a noble goal, because I think all of our churches could do, would do well to consider the balance of how, how much are we spending on us, how much are we, are we sending out into the world, into missions efforts, into, uh, you know, in, into you know, poverty relief, things like that. And, and I think that we can go too far and start to say, well, money's the problem. You know, we just need to get rid of all of it. And we need to meet in some, you know, rundown, falling apart uh, building in order to send everything somewhere else in the world. And I think that that neglects the reality of needs that we're called to meet right here. And I think it neglects the reality of God giving us blessing for our enjoyment, because that's not only individual, I believe that's corporate, right. that God blesses his people in order for our enjoyment as well. It's okay to enjoy God's blessings, whether it's an ind- you're an individual, whether it's your family, whether it's your whole church body, it's okay. In fact, God commands us to enjoy his blessings and share them, not yeah. either or. Yeah, it's just really about asking the question, what does it look like to steward this well? Right. God, you know, we... You know, we have a strong sense, as I, I know that you do as well in your life, that, you know, he he brought us Sam, that, you know, we, we got to steward our son well. Right. You know, we got to steward that blessing well. Our jobs, you know, we got to steward that well. And I think that's got to be one of the top questions. Well, and I think that can really change the way we look at wealth. When you think, I have two cars, what does it look like to be a good steward of my two cars? If, if, if... Let, you know, just for a minute, let's consider that maybe the two cars aren't just for me. Right. Maybe God's given me those two. Or I have a large house. I don't, but let's say I did. I have a large house. What would it look like to consider that maybe that large house that God provided, not just for me, that, that you know, it's okay for me to enjoy it, but it's not just for me, and it's not because I deserve it. It's because God gave it in order for me to enjoy it and to share it and to, to manage Just it. Just like that Timothy passage, enjoy it and do good. And so I think that I think that considering how can I use this thing that God's put into my care in a way that will glorify God can really change your perspective on, on wealth. And I think that ultimately leads to the other side of the kingdom perspective, and that's contentment. Um, right. You know, the, the 1 Timothy 6 passage, we've been in 1 Timothy 6 a lot, um, but 
just before the verse in verse 10 where it talks about the love of money, uh, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. Uh, and it's just, it's a problem. If we're, if we're chasing after wealth, it's a problem. Contentment doesn't mean that, you know, we, we you know, take a vow of poverty and go off and, and you know, live in, in squalor. But contentment means that we are happy with whatever it is that God brings to us in our life. With whatever it is that God gives us, we acknowledge that it's a gift from God and we are happy to manage it on his behalf. But we are not always pursuing the next 20%. We don't expect more. We don't, we don't demand more. Right. We, don't des- we, don't, we don't continually feel like we deserve more. We guard our hearts against jealousy of, of wanting what other people have. We practice being happy with what we've been given. And that, that's one of the things that really bugs me about prosperity theology is it breeds discontent. It, it assumes that you don't have everything that you need. Right. And maybe maybe there's some things that, you know, I don't, I don't want to go overboard with that. Maybe there's some things people need, but I, I just think that prosperity piece of it really breeds that, that I need more. Well, and it, it, it also breeds that performance idea that if I do more, I will get more. That, and that if I have less, I must be less. It, exactly. And on, on the other side of that coin. Right. And it's just very damaging. It's, it is. It's damaging to people. So, well, let's, let's wrap up with this idea that the kingdom perspective on wealth. Money doesn't corrupt you and it doesn't complete you. It, it doesn't do either of those things. It's not the enemy, but it's also not our savior. It's not, it's not the answer. And definitely it's a poor substitute for God. And, and so the kingdom perspective when it comes to wealth is to be content with what God gives you to enjoy God's blessings, and to use them generously to bless the other people in your life. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time.